Hello and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Ewan Lawson. In this episode, we have an interview with Remco Tout, who is a PhD candidate in the Research Department of Primary Care and Population Health at University College London. And the paper for which he's the primary author is Remote Primary Care Consultations for People Living with Dementia During the COVID-19 Pandemic, Experiences of People Living with Dementia and Their Carers. Now, of course, we all know that primary care consultations have gone through this big shift to remote methods as a result of the pandemic. And it's more important than ever that we explore the experiences and attitudes, particularly towards the more vulnerable members um, in our populations. And that includes people living with dementia and, of course, um, their carers as well. So first of all, I asked Remco to tell us a little bit more about what is already known about dementia and remote consultations. The current research that's been published around remote consultations and people living with dementia um, isn't uh, that widely uh, known, actually, I think what the effects are with regards to different types of remote consultations. A lot of previous trials looked at video consultations as a means of improving access for people who weren't um, uh, nearby any other sort of um, regular healthcare. And so that's something that um, specific trials have been set up with regards to um, uh, seeing if that how that compared to uh, regular care and ongoing care for people with dementia. Um, it, it's notable that in, in those trials, it was specifically um, uh, either uh, additional technology that was provided to the people living with dementia or specific sort of training was provided or coaching and able to use different kinds of remote um, uh, means of um, uh, conducting the consultation. So that's something that, um, especially for this this age group, people living with dementia are usually obviously um, 65 plus in, in that range. Um, that's something that... Um, you know, it w- was provided by the people who were conducting those trials to make sure that they uh, understood how uh, to use different types of technology for remote consultations. And so within the the, the limits of that, those trials, we know that um, it is feasible for people living with dementia to engage with remote consultations, but this was often related to ongoing um, care that had already been established prior to um, the, the introduction of the remote consultations or uh, in collaboration with coaching um, for the person with living with dementia or their carer. Um, and that's something that obviously is, is good to know, but in situations where um, a sudden pivot to remote consultations for people who, who aren't familiar uh, with that method of, uh, of consultation is something that uh, wasn't previously well established. Yeah. So there's some interesting things there, because obviously as a GP, we think about people with dementia and obviously they might have complex care needs, clinical, complex clinical needs, as you mentioned in the introduction. And, you know, understanding around capacity as well. So a particularly important group to kind of delve into a little bit more. And obviously the pandemic has resulted in a lot more of this happening and people moving to it. So tell us a little bit more about what you did in your study. In our research study, we uh, interviewed uh, people living with dementia and their carers. So it's important that we um, recruited specifically people living with dementia who had capacity to take part in an interview because we were hoping to represent um, their viewpoints and experiences. And we asked them to identify a carer that we could speak to as well. So um, we spoke to people living with dementia and they're the carers they identified. So that um, could be a spouse, could be an adult child, or it could be a neighbor or a friend who helped them. Um, and we interviewed them remotely as well. Um, in most of our cases, that was over the phone. Um, one uh, dyad opted for uh, a Zoom interview, uh, which was possible as well. And um, yeah, we, we spoke to um, the individuals uh, individually if possible, but if a dyadic interview was preferred, uh, that was also an option that we um uh, we were able to accommodate and in that sense we were able to speak to them to sort of capture their experiences of remote consultations and general experiences of healthcare during um, the initial months of the pandemic which was between may and august of 2020 
Yeah. So tell us how many people you interviewed and tell us a little bit about your findings. Yeah, so we were able to speak to 30 people living with dementia and 31 carers. Um, we had one person with dementia, unfortunately, drop out on the day. But um, overall, we were able to speak to uh, a, a very robust group um, with different types of dementia, different relations to carers and um, different ethnicities as well. So that was very uh, a very good sample to, to speak to. Um, and uh, based on their findings, we were based on um, the interviews, we were able to um, uh, develop three themes um, with the research team. Um, so we were able to uh, look at the proactive care that they'd experienced as part of the COVID pandemic. We looked at um, whether there was any uh, avoidance of services and we looked at the difficulties that they might have experienced with remote healthcare encounters. Yeah. Uh, with our first theme, the uh, proactive care, we uh, noted that some people reported that uh, either their primary care professionals, so GPs or uh, nurses or receptionists, um, were uh, actively reaching out um, to speak to people and that was um, specifically in the beginning of the pandemic and often in relation to cancelled appointments. Um, and so at that stage, people were able to, uh, where well, they found it quite reassuring, actually. Um, so they mentioned that it was unfortunate that um, the, the healthcare professionals weren't able to um, actively uh, engage with them to see if there was anything that they could do um, uh, in, in periods with uh, these social restrictions or to think about really um, the management of uh, ongoing illnesses, uh, not just related to the dementia, but specifically other uh, complex uh, cases, for example. We talked a little bit about, um, well, several people mentioned that um, whether or not they felt comfortable reaching out to healthcare services. So that was specifically with regards to the burden on the NHS, but also with uh, the risk of COVID for um, uh, attending uh, healthcare settings, for example, um, uh, if that was necessary with regards to uh, emergency care or if there was anything else. But in our example, there were also individuals that um, had no need to reach out and had said that they'd been managing fine at that stage. A few different things there. There's obviously, there was a bit of a mixed picture, wasn't there, in terms of some were, you know, delighted to get that contact some certainly pointed out that they were um then one quote was you know i can honestly say that nobody's checked on mum from a there was obviously a lot going on um at that time and a little bit of a mixed picture with avoidance as well or people avoiding people just staying away from it the, 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 that's that's the that sort of encompasses the first two themes maybe i'll get you to talk a little bit about the third theme because that'll be particularly i think this is the one where it might draw out some points for people who are doing remote consultations particularly with people who've got dementia around the difficulties with the remote healthcare consultations and it perhaps points the way to some things we could do slightly differently mm -hmm. yeah so that's definitely where the first two themes really helped our understanding of um how people were thinking about reaching out for consultations or if they'd already been in touch with healthcare professionals um but for those that had experience in need or um uh, an immediate concern that they wanted to speak to their healthcare professional about. Um, there were several difficulties that they did encounter, um, specifically for uh, older individuals, so people living with dementia who were slightly older, uh, and carers as well that might have been older, so spousal carers usually. They found it difficult to manage the technology of going through um, telephone waiting lines as well as making appointments online or e-consultations and things like that. Um, but that wasn't specifically limited to just uh, the older individuals. Some carers also found that difficult and mentioned that they um, that was part of the reason that they were avoiding services that they found that difficult. Um, but when we spoke to people who were able to actually have those consultations, it was clear that um, most people preferred face-to-face -face contact. And that was clear because it helped with, um, with prompts 
to, to describe um, conditions or, or new uh, concerns that they had, as well as um, finding it difficult to remember what was being said. And especially where people living with dementia weren't um, co-resident with their, with a carer who was often involved, um, there were difficulties where a carer would notice um, that something had come from the GP, but they weren't sure what that was, for example. Um, and that discrepancy between being able to involve the, the carer was also seen when um, carers, for example, would be talking to, to the GPs or uh, engaging in remote consultations, but the person with dementia uh, at times would feel left out or not included in those uh, discussions. Yeah. One of the things that I picked out, particularly from this section, was you mentioned about when the doctor or the clinician didn't keep the telephone appointments. And that was particularly for someone who hasn't got a, who hasn't got a co-resident carer, who they haven't got a carer at home. And actually, if you don't ring up, and I felt a bit guilty about this because there have been in times when, you know, when you're running late and it's telephone appointments, actually you don't always ring at exactly the time. But in fact, for someone with dementia, particularly for a carer who might be a family member or maybe someone who's working who has to be there, if you don't call exactly that right time, it can be really problematic. Mm -hmm. And um, that's not just for, for carers who are um, making time to sort of make sure that they can uh, uh, can help support these these conversations, um, but also for people with dementia who might have uh, varying symptoms that sort of affect them at different times of the day. If, if they want to be involved, it might be better for them to do that first thing in the morning versus later on in the day, um, as well as carers managing the support and the, the other types of care as well. Um, that was definitely something that, that uh, people shared. Yeah, I, I think that's something that um, some people did mention that they found um, specific things easier to, to, to speak about over the phone. So um, specifically regarding different kinds of medicines, for example, or more specific things, they found out um, that that was OK to speak to uh, to speak to their doctors over the phone about. But specifically new um, issues they found difficult to describe and um, carers as well thought that um, things that were related to to more physical signs they found difficult to describe as well. And the person with dementia wouldn't always cooperate. In, in engaging with that consultation as well then. Um, and obviously it's understandable that, you know, um, with busy schedules and with things running over, um, but it's just something to keep in mind for, specifically for people living with dementia as well um, when planning these kinds of consultations. Um, and of course, there's always the consideration that more time would be better, but um, <laughs> yeah, that's just something that I think all around. <laughs> yeah, I won't say it again because I say it every single podcast, but um, yeah, you're absolutely right. So um, some fascinating stuff here, and I think it's particularly important because it's a vulnerable you know, they're particularly a vulnerable group of patients, potentially, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, the impact of remote consultations on them. So this has some incredibly useful pointers. Perhaps I get you just to summarize, if you can, some of the key points from your research, Remco. Yeah, so I think um, overall, looking at the different types of uh, engagement that people had, so thinking about proactive engagement, so where um, uh, primary care professionals were reaching out, um, thinking about sort of providing structured suggestions, for example, and thinking about what could be helpful to speak to instead of just uh, reassuring and, and sort of just just no, making sure that, the, that they can be heard. Um, obviously, that is nice, but it, it could be uh, improved in the way that we sort of engage with these vulnerable populations. And thinking about when um, patient initiation contact uh, for people living with dementia, um, it's important to really think about, um, you know, uh, what impact can dementia have on this consultation? And obviously people living with dementia have different, um, all have different needs in that sense. And so um, being mindful of that can really be helpful when engaging with remote consultations, um, whether that's, uh, you know, encouraging them to make a list of the things they'd like to discuss or making sure that you um, properly engage with them beforehand, actually already to think about, you know, what type of remote um, consultation actually suits their needs best, whether that's a telephone call where the carer can also sit in or whether it's a video call supported by other family members. Um, 
And that's just something to be mindful of as well. Yeah. Premco, that's incredibly helpful. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research papers and articles can be found at bjgp.org. The show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. Do share if you've enjoyed it. Subscribe via all the usual places, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your podcaster of choice. Thanks again.